Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. What's up, everybody? Devin here, and I'm really excited for this week's guest because we're talking to Jill Rowley. She's a growth strategist, a go-to-market advisor, an investor, and an all-around fantastic salesperson. We brought her on the show so we could talk about how to have a customer-focused mindset. You might hear things like you know being customer-obsessed or customer-centric. Sometimes these buzzwords can kind of take away from the meaning and actually become cliches. But for this episode, we really dive into what that means and how you can apply it to your role. We talk about what steps leaders can take to become more customer-centric, how organizations can ensure their go-to-market strategies are customer-led, and how exactly can you build around the voice of the customer. I'm really excited that we got to talk to Jill because I've been following her on LinkedIn for quite a while. She has over 250,000 followers, so plenty to learn from her. She's been around the block a couple of times. She's very successful, and I know that you'll get a lot out of this episode. Let's go hang out with Jill. Jill, we are super excited to have you here at Reveal. Uh, just a little bit of you know backstory for the audience. Jill and I were actually conversing on LinkedIn. She sent a really friendly, great message that made my day about how she loved one of our episodes and was enjoying the podcast. I checked her out. I was like, we have to get Jill on the podcast. So hence, there was like that invitation to bring you on to Reveal. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, LinkedIn. Sheena shared the shared the uh, message in Slack. And I was like, the Jill? Jill knows that our podcast is happening and likes it? That's great. So exactly. yeah, we were all, it warmed all of our hearts. And we're very grateful and even more grateful that you're spending time with us. Well, I'm excited. I listen to the podcast uh, largely on my bike rides and on my walks with the doggy. And it just makes um, everything brighter. Great. Love that. Love that. So for those who, are, who may not know you or want to learn a little bit more about you, maybe you could um, just give us a little background of what you're up to today. I, I kind of think of you as like giving back to your communities at this stage. You've done so many amazing things over your career and you're really at a place where you can give that advice and that guidance and investment into spaces that you're passionate about. But I'd love to hear from your words. Yeah. So I, I would, I've gotten clarity on my purpose over the years and it's really to enrich other people's careers and I would say initially it was really focused on elevating the sales professional and the sales profession um, and, and really working also with marketing leaders to become more uh, revenue focused. And um, I've spent so much of my career uh, building categories, doing category creation, working with startups through you know, being employee number 13 at Eloqua being there on the NASDAQ when we took the company public, being there when we were acquired by Oracle four months later, 
Um, backing up even farther, working at Salesforce as one of the first hundred employees. Um, so I always say I was like born SaaS, um, social, mobile, data, you know, just all of those things that that come about with technology and sales tech, martech. And I think you're right. Like most of my time today is spent on giving back and trying to stay active in the go-to-market communities that I really enjoy participating in. Um, coaching, I love doing unofficial. I'm not an official coach. I'm not uh, in that in that profession. But yeah, a lot of time learning too. I listen to tons of podcasts and still I'm an active reader and uh, just keeping my network um, uh, fresh and even still expanding my network with, uh, with you all as an example. I love that. Never stop learning. Um, always be growing. So one of the common threads that we talked about, uh, over your career was really around this like thread of that the customers first, and you always have put the customer front and center for all of the work that you've done. Um, so I'd love to hear from you, like, what does a customer-focused fo organization look like, and how do they behave differently from anybody else out there? Yeah, I mean, it starts with being customer-led, right? Like, literally thinking about things through the eyes of your customer. And to look at things through the lens of the customer, you have to really know your customer. And I think, you know, a lot of times what we do is we don't have enough focus on the business that makes sense for what we're building, what we built, and what we continue to, to build. And so, you know, in marketing, it's called the ideal customer profile. And that really has become now in marketing, sales, and customer success term, which is amazing. Because if we're not, you know, laser focused on who our ideal customer is, then we're, we're getting customer needs that don't fit um, who we best serve. So I think the customer-led is, is, again, like always making decisions through the lens of the customer. And, and a, a just wonderful example, uh, Jeff Lawson at Twilio. I've listened to many of interviews with Jeff, the, the founder, and one of the things that he talked about that was really striking was they have these, I think they're like red tennis shoes for their ninja advocates. And, you know, that's like the coveted thing to get from Twilio. And one of the things that they did is when they send that pair of red Twilio um, tennis shoes, then that customer needed to send a pair of their shoes. And what Twilio did is they literally hung and may still have the customer's shoes all around their office. And so that the customer was literally in the room with the employees. And so you were surrounded by, you know, always thinking. And what you saw is that the shoes are, are different. They're not all the same, right? So one of the things I talk about really important in terms of especially sales is context and putting things in context of your customer. And so you have to have truly a deep, deep understanding of the customer. That can be at an industry level, at a stage of growth level. It could be at a you know individual stakeholder within the organization. Um, it could be at a geographic lens. It could be all these different elements of knowing thy customer. And so I think, you know, one of the examples too is 
Okay, when you onboard new salespeople, do you train your salespeople first on your product? Or do you train your salespeople first on your customer? Like, what is the focus? And for me, I think in, especially in sales, you definitely have to have sales acumen. Like that's, that's like table stakes and that's doing discovery and objection handling and aligning value to customer needs. Um, you have to have business acumen because we've got to quantify the value and the impact, the customer outcome, right? So you've got to have some business acumen. But I think really, really incredibly important is customer acumen. And so the customer has to be all throughout the organization. Everybody has to understand the customer, um, the customer journey, and make decisions that are in the benefit of the customer. Well, you know, I'm a fan of any sneaker story if you follow the podcast. And that is a really cool example, though. I really love that. It's like an uh, unignorable reminder, like, hey, the customer is here uh, with those shoes. That's really cool. And I don't even, I'm not even a, a client of Twilio and I want those red sneakers. So how's that for exclusivity? <laughs> Joe, where did your passion for this kind of come from, right? Was there maybe like a, a moment or a certain experience where you're like, hey, this actually is what I should be prioritizing versus maybe some other stuff I've been trained on, hearing around, that sort of thing? I think the passion has, was rooted from the very beginning, given the fact that my first quota carrying sales job was in SaaS right? Software as a service. It's a recurring revenue model. It was back at Salesforce. It was literally a 30-day contract. And every 30 days, you had to renew the customer. Month to month, quit any time was one of our like differentiators of Siebel, which you know, in terms of competitive intelligence, we knew a whole lot about Siebel and how complicated and expensive and how truly unsuccessful many of the Siebel implementations were. If anyone's young and you don't know client server, on-premise, um, it's just awful and it's expensive and you pay so much money upfront and you're not guaranteed any results and there's no like regular subscription renewal. So, um, and back then too, the customer social media didn't exist. And so there wasn't as much, you know, voice of the customer traveling in every channel. Um, there weren't product review sites like G2 and Trust Radius and Captera. So the customer's voice wasn't as loud, if you will, and amplified in social channels. Salesforce, Mark Benioff, he's just a different human being. And at Salesforce, it, customer success wasn't you know, a function that was named until many years later, but we really did at Salesforce from the beginning root it in understanding that we are a subscription business and we have to serve the customer. So then at, at Eloqua, one of the advantages I think I've had in my career is that Eloqua, our customer was marketing. And so I always say I'm a sales professional trapped in a marketer's body. And that I've read more books, if not the same amount of books on marketing as I have on sales. And that really re goes back to knowing thy customer, right? And so I have to know marketing so that I can be of value to my marketing customer. And selling into marketing and really understanding the industry and the different roles and the jobs and seeing how, you know, customer marketing 
and community, which we had an amazing community at Eloqua, um, and, and customer awards. We were one of the first companies to do a customer awards program. Back in 2007, we launched it and we called it the Eloqua Marquee Awards. And literally, we the, the physical award for our customers was, you know, a five pound designed by um, the, the Oscars, looks like an Oscar. And that was back in 07 when not every company was doing customer award programs. So I think my, my rooting and my focus and my love, I love marketing, I love marketers. Um, so that, that just natural desire to want to know more about my customer. And then over time, just seeing companies that were more customer focused um, were more successful and more fun. So it really has been, and now from a financial perspective and looking at things from a venture capital investment perspective um, at stage two capital, the first metric we really look at is net dollar retention, net, net revenue retention. We look at not top line growth from an investor perspective, but how well are you doing maintaining your customers and then, you know, expanding the wallet share of your customers. That's number one. So it really is about how well are you doing to deliver value to your customers that they continue to pay you for that value. For our listeners who aren't watching this on YouTube, Jill just held up what looked exactly like an Oscar, which is this marquee trophy she had on hand uh, award, which for a moment, I honestly was like, did you get that from a pawn shop? That looks like someone's <laughs> looks like someone's award. Like, how did you get that? Yeah, it looks very What's much. your name on it? <laughs> very much like it. Yes. I think I actually want, I want to go back to something you'd mentioned, Jill, which was Salesforce and you knowing uh, Siebel really well. I think a lot of times that falls under competitive intel. But it sounds like you took it a step further, which is, yeah, there's knowing what your competitors offer, features, functionality. The next level was, well, how does that actually serve or neglect what clients actually want, right? Which is kind of like the actual experience. Like, hey, I know what Siebel does and I actually know what they don't do. And mm-hmm. because of both of those, I know you, know, you Mr. or Ms. Customer, what you're struggling with, right? And how we can help. Are there any other examples like that, that maybe from a selling perspective, where being so customer minded, you know, kind of gave you an advantage? Yeah, I think it's all about um, credibility and trust. And during the course of my 10 years at Eloqua, um, I, I really was in an individual quota carrying sales rep role for the 10 years that I was there. But what happened over time is because I was so deep in it with my customers from being in the Eloqua community and actively participating in our online community, you know, being at every awards ceremony and being the one to be so like crazy giddy when our customers won awards, um, being active in social networks and really shining the spotlight on our great customers and being a champion of the customer, but more broadly, um, building relationships with the industry analysts. And that that is oftentimes looked at as a no-no, like salespeople, industry analysts, that's marketing's job. But I, you know, nuzzled up uh, because I was learning from all of the analysts about 
my customer and sharing their reports and the awesome research that they published. Um, I would go to conferences. I remember being at the Serious Decisions Conference and they didn't want salespeople in the sessions where their marketing customers were learning because they thought that they were gonna try to sell within a learning environment. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't hang out at the booth waiting for someone to come by. I go into the sessions and I learn where and what my customers are learning. And so it's really like, you know, being where your buyers are, being where your customers are, being visible to them, being value, valuable to them, and really understanding things through the lens of how can I serve, how can I help my customer achieve her goals and a lot of times for me, that was, okay, what do they want from a career path perspective? We at Eloqua functions like demand generation didn't exist. They didn't, the, the, the term demand gen didn't exist. Marketing operations was not a function. And we not only had great technology back then, um, but we also helped create and 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 really develop new functions within organizations, career paths. And so helping someone with their career is is one way to also uh, earn the advocacy and the long-term loyalty from your customers. Social selling may sound as easy as sending a connection request with a brief sales pitch targeted to your buyer. But when you take it a step further than cold outreach, you can actually break through the noise and really get your prospects' attention. LinkedIn reports that 62% of buyers respond to a salesperson who provides relevant content and insights. This tells me that the most successful reps are interacting with buyers by giving information rather than just asking for a meeting. These reps are posting and interacting with content to build real relationships. This makes buyers more willing to give them a shot because they represent themselves and their company in a way that really shows they're there to help the buyer achieve their goals. As Jill says, make more digital deposits on social media and don't just give information. I am a huge advocate of being where your customers are, understanding them deeply, you know, what their challenges are, how they feel about them. And your story, you know, clearly shows that that's, that's what you're all about. You've also taken it from those in-person interactions and you have quarter million followers on LinkedIn. Um, so you've obviously cracked the code from a digital standpoint as well. So how has that, how has growing that digital presence kind of continued on your legacy, if you will, of being customer minded and how's it helped you connect with your audience? Yeah, thanks for the question. And I, I mean, I was an evangelist for, and still am um, social selling. And I believe in social networks. I don't think that salespeople should be out there using social media. I think salespeople should be leveraging social networks. They're really the same thing, but the use case is different, right? It's contextual to the role of the sales professional. Marketers use social media to do more reach and salespeople leverage social networks to be more relevant and to build better relationships. And so I, over time, again, I think the advantage was selling into marketing and understanding the role of social and digital and understanding the, 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 the change of who the customer trusts 
and how they're influenced by their peers way more than they're influenced by our marketing messages and also by understanding that the old process of customer references and holding those to the end of the buyer's journey and like gating your customers from your buyers because you had to like qualify them to a certain point. No, actually what I think you should do is have deep meaningful connections with your customers. And so what happened at Eloqua is I became an evangelist for B2B marketing, for marketing technology. And that happened by, you know, at those physical events, watching someone speak and present on a specific topic, then sending them a personalized invite to connect on LinkedIn with relevant about them. Like I took this note from your session and I'd be honored to be in your network and delighted to have you in mine. And so building your network over time and then from a sales perspective, when I then moved into social selling and I became an evangelist for social selling, which is just using social networks to do research on your buyers and their industries to be relevant to your buyers, to, to build relationships that drive revenue, but ultimately customer lifetime value and advocacy. But my view has always been if you want your customers to be your advocates, you have to be the best advocate of your customers. And a way of doing that that has a lot more reach and visibility is through digital and social channels. So it's just over a, you know, it didn't happen overnight. This was a slow roll of mm -hmm. building a network through creating and publishing and engaging with valuable content. Yeah, I think it all comes back to like really putting that customer in this case is like your audience front and center. Like, yeah, sure, you may have learned something or read about something from an analyst, but now you're putting it in the words and terms that make sense for, for your audience and how they should interpret that information. Yeah. So you have done like so many different things, like as an IC, as an advisor, in like all your different roles of keeping the customer first. What advice would you give to sales leaders to make sure that they and their teams are super zoned in and focused on their customers and putting them first? Maybe your top three. Yeah, actually the advice first I would give is to the chief executive officer to bring an extra seat into every executive leadership team meeting and leave that seat open for your customer. And I would say that's a visual of every strategy and execution meeting we have as an organization, we're going to bring our customer into the room. And when we get, you know, when our cross-functional leaders are arguing or debating, we're trying to set our product roadmap, we come and we look at that chair and we look at the seat that our customer sits in. Um, that advice, that, that's actually the role I got at Marketo. I, I was not a C-suite executive. I, I was an individual contributor, then an industry, you know, evangelist, a professional speaker. I was never a, you know, a manager or a director or a VP. I didn't have direct reports. Um, and so Steve Lucas recognized that if Marketo wanted to win against Eloqua, even though that had already started because of the acquisition of Eloqua by Oracle, um, they need, they, Marketo was, was 
going to bring someone in like myself to really be the, 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 the customer evangelist. Not in an operator role, though, but more in a, in a strategic sit in the room with the executives and always think about the customer's point of view. Um, so as for sales leaders, what I would say is from a training and onboarding, I mentioned this earlier, the customer training comes first and really teaching the sales organization and especially if you're hiring reps from outside of selling into that function. One example would be like you've got someone who's sold into sales and you hire them at a company that sells into HR. That's a completely different buyer. If you hire someone who's sold into B2C and then you bring them in your B2B company, that's a completely different sales motion and a completely different, you know, customer profile. So that focus on the customer from a training and onboarding, um, I would say bringing it customers into um, your QBRs to your sales kickoffs. I think many companies are actually doing that now, um, but really having customers be represented. Um, from a marketing perspective, I just saw a press release about a new product launch from a company and all about their new crazy, you know, product that's going to do all these amazing things. And not a single customer was mentioned in that, in that release. There's not a single, you know, mention of a customer getting value from that new product on their website. So you launch a new product, who cares? Who are your customers that are actually getting value from that new product launch? Because hopefully you had beta customers and they actually validated that this was a product that actually created value. Um, from a sales, um, you can even look at compensation models. Uh, one of the just striking things, Mark Roberge, who was the chief revenue officer at HubSpot, he grew the company from zero to 100 million. Um, wrote a book on sales, is a professor at Harvard Business School on sales. One of the things he talked about in the early days of HubSpot is he noticed that there was high churn, right? There was a lot of churn. It was a small business, SMB, high volume business. And his assumption, he's a very data-driven person, which is amazing. And that's why he's been, one of the reasons why he's been so successful is the science of, of revenue growth. Um, but what he noticed was he thought that it was going to be a correlation of customer success manager to churn. And what he the data showed him is that the correlation of churn was to the original sales rep. And so what he did is he, he re redesigned the comp plan to basically have a different variable for sales reps with high retention and a lower variable for reps with medium and an even lower for reps with low retention, trained them on how do the best performing reps have high customer retention, right? Showed them what great looks like. And then as that rep did better and better with their retention, moved them up in the commission model. And so if we really wanna put the customer first and the long-term lifetime value of the customer, then paying your salespeople to do the right things up front is really important. 
So it's just bringing more of the customer, the data about the healthy customers and the unhealthy customers into the sales organization to create more focus on what our most ideal customers and the value creation looks like. That's so amazing. I think that's Very such nice. a unique idea and like one that a lot of organizations should really consider to help align all the way from you know the first touch point that the customer has with sales through the life of their time with any company. Um, so really interesting point on the compensation piece. So Jill, we ask all of our guests one question, which is the same question every time. And that is, how would you describe sales in one word? In one word, the one word is context. But mm -hmm. if I expanded on that, it's context around the customer. Love but it. sales is very contextual. Yeah. That's great. I was going to say, she knows she's prepared for it because she said she listens to Reveal walking the dog and on her bike ride. So usually I'm like, okay, we're going to put you in the hot seat. I'm like, Jill knows it's coming. She she's prepped. It. She's ready. <laughs> yeah. She's done the research. Uh, what I love about it too, Jill, I didn't mention this earlier, but you were going through, you know, how you reach out to people on LinkedIn to provide, you know, I saw this thing and, you know, I'd be delighted to add you to my uh, network. Hope I can add value. We said it earlier. That's exactly how Jill got introduced to the team here. Like that's how you reached out. You said, Hey, you got this thing. I really enjoy it. And you didn't even, you didn't even make an ask. You're like, we'd just love to kind of be a part of uh, your network. Mm -hmm. uh, and that led to the intro here, a great podcast and a fantastic interview with tons of advice. If anyone on the video is seeing my eyes wander and typing, I've got a page full of notes and, and great takeaways, okay. Jill. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your stories. There are some really good ones in there. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast. I just have so much respect for many of the guests that you've already had on the podcast. And I was really, I didn't make an ask because it wasn't, I didn't reach out to be on the podcast. But, um, you know, I'm just really honored to be um, among the, the leaders that you have interviewed. Oh, thank you. Well, the audience, I'm sure, appreciates every single thing that you've shared here today. So uh, really grateful to have you. Awesome, Joe. Thanks again. Thank you. Every week we bring you a micro action, something to think about or an action you can put into play today. Jill speaks highly of the benefits of social selling. Social selling is a hot topic that can be polarizing, but after listening to Jill, there are some ways you can tastefully improve your craft. This week, take a look at the way you and your reps are using social networks. Then ask yourself questions like, am I taking more than I'm giving? Am I putting my unique thoughts and experiences in the open to drive conversation? And am I visible and active? This approach will give you a more buyer-centric approach to social selling, allowing prospects to warm up to you so you don't go in cold. Remember, don't just get information. You have plenty to give to. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then.